Trash. Trash. Hey gang, welcome back to another episode of the We Speak English Good podcast. Today's guest is the amazing and legendary Farnell Newton. Farnell is a trumpeter out of Portland, Oregon, and is just amazing. Like, he's an amazing songwriter and he's an amazing producer. He does so many cool things in the music community up in Portland and all over the world. I mean, the dude has played with Jill Scott. He's played uh, with uh, Stevie Wonder, played with Bootsy Collins, Aretha Franklin. I mean, the list goes on. And then like a ton of jazz dudes that, uh, that uh, of course, murder the scene as well. So I, I, I was very, very honored to have a conversation with Farnell and... Um, I, I do have to say that this conversation did, it got a little spicy and I wasn't, I wasn't too happy with my side of the spiciness. I, I just felt like my brain wasn't functioning and I, I know I'm just making up excuses, but I, I do want to say that, um, you know, when we're having these conversations, I'm not planning on having like deep, I don't necessarily plan on having these crazy conversations that get into the weeds um we just sort of end up there and so you're not always prepared to go down these roads and uh i, I certainly sounded like i wasn't prepared to go down these roads in this interview so you know i just want to give you that little bit before you get into this just understand that uh, uh it, it gets it gets it gets into the weeds and um you know we we we, we go there but, uh, you know, just take it for what it is. I mean, it's, it's, again, it's just a conversation that we're having. And by these conversations, I, I feel people get to learn. Uh, even if it's learn what not to say <laughs> because they're listening to me. So, uh, you know, take it with a grain of salt. But enjoy. There's so much good information in here. I mean, like, Farnell is just such an amazing uh, musician. And uh, the fact that he goes out and mentors uh, young musicians, uh, especially at a musician at his level, I think is just so admirable. And uh, it, it's just so cool, man. It's just really, really cool. You, you'll see what we're talking about. Farnell is coming up here shortly. But first, go check out Rain Mystique's new song, Where Are You Now? It got the seal of approval from superstar producer, Superstar O, on his Twitch channel. It was pretty amazing, actually. Last night, we were watching his stream, and Raina submitted her song into to be reviewed. And not only did he love the song, but now he like wants to make like a like a sample pack with her voice, and, and he wants to like work with her. He wants to collaborate. He wants to. He just loved it. So uh, it, it was really exciting to see. And, and knowing that this dude has worked with who he's worked with, I mean, one of the names that just come to mind is Chris Brown. Ever hear of him? Uh, I was trapped in Chris Brown's body. Okay, I can't even sing the song. Okay. 
moving on. And then, here's the thing. It was just released yesterday, so it got the seal of approval from Superstar O, and it got the approval from T-Pain himself. That's right. That's right. Uh, Melodon, 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 what, what do you call it? What's the stupid, what's the voice thing that he does? The T-Pain effect? The share believe effect? <laughs> Whatever. T-Pain, he reviewed it, and uh, you know what? He dug it. He dug the beat. Uh, but he, you know he wasn't he wasn't over the moon about it. But you know what? We caught him because he just ordered food, so you know he was hungry. He had one of his assistants order food for him, so he was hungry, and he was listening to all these beats, and he was just shitting on all these beats the whole night. And then he gets to Reina's, and then and then he like wants to hover over it, and he wants to end it, but then he heard like the hook hit, and he was like, okay, I like it. Uh, and then he shit talks. He shit talk a little bit about you know the the words and 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 the content, but 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 what do you think about what he writes in Wisconsin? <laughs> you know I I don't know where he's coming from. I don't know where he gets off. It's not like he's some lyrical genius laying down knowledge of our ancestors. You know I mean get the fuck out of here, T Pain. <laughs> but. Again, T-Pain, as a streamer, has come a long way uh, because at the beginning of the pandemic, when you would go stop into T-Pain's, <laughs> his shit would always be like fucking up and he'd be like, oh no, I can't, oh, what's going on? <laughs> it's just funny to see, it was funny to see T-Pain struggle with technology just like the rest of us, but now he's murdering it, he's murdering it now. Um, he, he's a great streamer, he's pretty entertaining, he's really funny. Um, Especially when he's shitting on people's music, it's it's really funny. But but the the big thing about last night was that you know the the songs out, uh, Superstaro is really into it, and, uh, and we'll we'll see we'll see we'll see uh, what comes down the pipeline in the next few months. See if uh, we get a a badass collab going on and some sound packs and. Anyways, it was very exciting, and I wish we would have screenshotted it because it would have been social media gold, but. You know, they deleted the VOD, the VOD. I don't know why. But anyways, moving on. New song, Where Are You Now? Rain and Mystique, go get yourself some. You can also find We Speak English Good on Twitch at twitch.tv slash We Speak English Good. We stream Mondays and Fridays at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Come on through. We do, we do, we like to do at least one music stream a month. And uh, so, if if you're not a hip to the Twitch music or hitched, to, oh my God, here we go. If you're not hip to the Twitch scene, you gotta get over there. It's pretty dope, especially we speak English good. If you like the show, you're gonna love the stream. It, it's uh, it's 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 WSEG on steroids. It's like uh, it's it's all the fun stuff that I like doing, and all in one place. So. Come on through. It's, it's, it's a good time. It's a good time. Uh, you can also support the show uh, monetarily. I, I hate the uhs. I hate them so much. I, I hate that I say uh between. It just sounds like I don't know what I'm going to say next. And sometimes I don't, but still, fuck you, uhs. Uh, so there you go. I was about to do it. Look, it's a habit. Like, I'm catching myself do it. I'm catching it like it's a habit. I can, I, I feel it every time I stop a sentence and I'm starting something new or I can't stand it. 
cannot stand it. I was about to do it again. Go like, subscribe, review, like us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Discord, the other stuff. All the links are in the show notes. You can subscribe to us on Apple iTunes. Follow us on Spotify or anywhere you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on YouTube and Twitch. And if you're feeling real spunky, please go leave us a review. It, uh, it really helps us in the algorithm and, and it helps us get pushed up so more people can discover the show. So if you like the show and you want a free way to support, a review is a wonderful way to do that. And plus, we'll read them on air if you want. Uh, write the show at WeSpeakEnglishGood at gmail.com. Good times over there. And that's it. Let, 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 we should probably get over to Farnell. I, I know I ear-battered y'all like for a long, long time before this awesome show and awesome guest and this amazing conversation. So uh, I'll, I'll, I'll move on. I'll move on. I did the uh. I did it. I, I caught myself do it. It was, it was awful. So next week on the podcast, don't know who's on. Oh, wait. Uh, who's on the podcast next week? I just saw the schedule. Nah, oh well. Anyways, it'll be a surprise. So come on through next week. We got all kinds of stuff going. The show will be here. I'll see y'all next time. Let's get on over to Farnell Newton of Portland, Oregon. Let's go. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, how, Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. How, how is your day going? How How is Farnell's day today? Oh, it's good. You know, meetings and, and work and family and, and dogs and, <laughs> you know, busy, busy day. Hey, man. Hey, it, the life of a musician. It's funny how people think that musicians' lives are like this, like, lazy, like, crappy <gasps> lives. Oh, thank you, Raina. so reyna can still control the chat which reyna is my mod uh so she can still control the chat uh but you can't uh we for whatever reason we can't go live although i'm seeing everyone else going live right now i can't go live it's crazy so we're doing this in any case uh i don't know man did you have a did you uh do you ever have any pushback coming up as a musician with your life choice to be an artist or, or were you pretty, I mean there's you... always pushback you know <laughs> but yeah. I mean I but I've always prioritized you know my my life and and uh Sorry. and connected and connected with you know I was always about my family and such mm-hmm. and taking care of business at home and such I love being an artist but I also got to make sure that home is taken care of yeah yeah so so what does that entail then does that mean that you don't go out on the road or is that mean I mean or I might when I'm home I'm home mm-hmm. I'm, when I'm home I'm, I, I'm not touring as much as I used to in the past but when I'm home I'm home for you know, picking kids up from basketball, mm-hmm. track, music, right. taking them to where they need to be, making sure I'm home and available to help out with, you know, home life with the wife. And, right, right. You know, just to balance out because she can't get her work done if she has to 
manage everyone else's in the house. <laughs> I feel Rob, that, man. So. No, it's a partnership, and that's the and that and, and that's the thing too. You know, I think there's this misconception where like people think that musicians just lay around all day waiting for the next hit to come magically appearing in their brain, and meanwhile the kids, you know, need tending to the wife is doing all the work is that it's not how it works you know it's like it, i feel like there's this big misconception about musicians and and what they do especially artists in general um i it, it always seems to me like it's um i don't know like people expect us to be something to I don't know. They they expect us to be like this successful entity if we want to be a musician. Like and 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 but according to their success, right? Like oh, of course. You know, like it's like they want you to be like if you're not on the cover of Rolling Stone magazine, which whatever that means anymore. If you're not on the cover of Rolling Stone magazine, then then you ain't doing nothing. And you know, like I don't know. Like have you have you dealt with that kind of uh, I don't know stigma before? I mean, especially coming from you know family members or i mean i i just always kind of moved to the beat of my own drum anyway <laughs> so no matter what people would say anyway as as long as i was taking care of myself and my family and and and, and immediate family you know it was always that was the priority before anyone else yeah you know plus you know i've done i've done the, the international touring and playing with legends and ogs mm. and and such so you know and i love working with young artists and you know i've i've kind of been around the block enough that i could kind of choose to do my own thing and not have to worry about what other people are saying that's know, true doing. yeah that, that's actually uh that that's a great point because you have put in your dues you have put in the yeah. work and you're at a place in your career where you can just pick and choose on what you want to pursue yeah. and what you don't want to pursue yeah. um, and i also did my thing a little backwards you know where my friends when they got out of school, they went straight to touring and gigging where I came to Portland, Oregon, and and I started, I had a family. Oh, you wow. Know, now, now, you know, I have grown kids and my musician friends now who took the other route are now trying to have kids, starting to have kids yeah. and trying to buy their first homes yeah. and things where... You know, I've already done those things. Wow, <laughs> like, that's awesome. I'm just ready for the babies to get older. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so then when you got out of school, you went to Portland and, and you and you and you, uh, you you set anchor and and you decided to put down roots. Uh, what yeah. were, what were you doing in those first days after college that allowed you to do? That? I mean, I guess I guess the question is what. Because music, especially early on in a career, isn't that fruitful uh, monetarily, um, or at least it can be or can't be for certain people. It depends, right? It's everyone's yeah. story is different. But were you working as a musician uh, and buying a home and starting a family, or, or did you start out in a different avenue? Well, I mean, I was. I always had a. I've always had a like a day job. Mm -hmm. You know, I worked when I first moved to Portland. I worked at a community center. Oh, for Portland parks, working with kids and computers and such. But at the same time, I was still gigging full time. I was taking, you know, going on a scene, um, networking, meeting people on the jazz scene, on the Latin scene, on the, the funk and soul scene and, and paying all the dues, you know, yeah. sitting in with everyone, taking all the gigs and, 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 and doing all of that stuff because you're new in town, you're new in the city, you know, you got to, the only way people could know about you if you go out and network and play. Mm -hmm. So I was doing all of that for years. Um, uh, 
before, you know, you know, I bought my first home or got married and things like that. So, you know, I put in a lot of time and effort. Uh, but like I said, you know, I kind of did it backwards and different where those same friends we went to school together, they were already in Europe and touring wow. and such. So, um, but like I said, you know, it's just, I, I kind of like went about my own way and followed my own drum beat and, and, you know, and things still led to, you know, to where they're at today, you right. know? And I feel like there's no one way of like success. Like, you know, you don't have to be on the front of a, a, a rock and roll magazine or hip hop magazine or jazz magazine to let people know that you've made it or you're successful because it's, is success is different for everyone. Hey, are you paying your bills? Right. Are you paying your mortgage? Right. Do you have, are you taking care of responsibilities you have? Are you, uh, do people know who you are, you know? And, and, and if they don't, what can you do to make those people know who you are yeah. and such, you know, just grinding, you know? Yeah, man. When you first got to Portland, how was the music scene? Uh, how, how was the music scene and what time period, if you don't mind, was this? Well, I moved to Portland in uh, 2000. Oh, okay. And, um, you know, I didn't know really anybody. You know, my, my ex-wife was from Portland, so I knew, uh, you know, a few people and such. And uh, But, you know, I, I, you know, it was just about, like, seeking out people and such, you know. Like, I heard of Mel Brown, drummer who played with, you know, Motown and Temptations. And so I seeked him out at his shows or... Um, I heard there's some Latin bands or there were some hip hop groups. And so it was like, you know, seeking out people, finding out where they go, where are the places? Um, mm. I mean, I think I used to get lost my first year cause I didn't know how to get home sometimes, you know, this is before GPS, <laughs> yes. you know, MapQuest, you had to uh, print out your <laughs> yeah. instructions, but MapQuest was always wrong at some point. So you were like, I would find myself like out in the wrong part of Portland, uh, <laughs> not the wrong part, but just right. lost and right. not knowing where I'm going. And, uh, you know, so, you know, building, doing all of that and spending time and learning the city and learning the people and meeting who's who and who's what and trying to align myself with those people and, and also make a name for myself, you know, yeah. I mean, but Portland's always had a, like a vibrant music scene, you know, mm -hmm. there, there's been OGs and, you know, you have, pleasure the funk band here in the 70s you have you know even people like chris Bodie, who's like you know mega jazz artist mm -hmm. playing with sting and such and then you got esperanza spaulding and mm -hmm. and then you got hip-hop people like amine or lifesavers and you know there's so many great musicians from this city you know yeah absolutely absolutely and and i think how did i i think i heard about you first from uh, a cat named Jared Lawson. Oh yeah, and yeah. I um, just played with Jared last night. <laughs> oh, awesome, awesome! I <laughs> love him. Like great artist. He has a great voice, great feel on the keys, um, mm -hmm. and, and that's sort of how I found you. And, and Chance Ch is that his name? Chance? Yeah, Hayden. Chance Hayden. Chance Hayden, who's been on the show before. Uh, yes. And, uh, you know, like, I just really, from that moment, I, when I found Jared, because it was his first album, he had just released it, and it was, like, right before it got, like, the attention, you know, because it got some heat, and he got, he, you know, you guys went, well, you know, you were in, in London and stuff playing with yeah. him, so you know what happened. Um, but it, it was, like, right before that, and 
uh, I, I was just like, wow. It, and it actually led me down this path of like looking into Portland musicians and stuff. So I really started looking into it. And then like I, I found Swatkins and Chance and, and uh, you know, Jared and, and Alan Stone and, and mm-hmm. just like a, a really amazing crew. I just I, I really I really appreciate uh, music scenes that sort of retain and and hold their like creative you know their high end creatives you know what I mean uh, I live in a city <laughs> it's Toledo Ohio um, oh yeah I've been there it, it, well <laughs> yeah exactly you, you're laughing and that's that's a great reason that's a great <laughs> so you know like cities like this um, talent tends to go you know it doesn't mm-hmm. stick around there's not really you know especially after this pandemic there's not really a whole lot of work here. And especially if you're not interested in working and playing like brown eyed girl to drunk people every night, you know, like, you know, if you're not into that, that, you know, there's not really much of a scene here. And if there is real talent, it tends to leave. I always respect Mm -hmm. cities that hold on. What do you what do you think it was about Portland that sort of attracts such talent? I mean, you know, the, the, the city itself, the, you know, it's the West Coast vibe, it's, mm. it's nature, yeah. it's people are nice. Uh, at the time, back in the day, cost of living was not expensive. Mm. Uh, um, it was, uh, you know, the, the food uh, um, and the location and such. I mean, I feel like people just come out here because they, 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 they get attached to the nature, the scenery. And such. I mean, I loved it. When I first came here, I was like, I don't want to go back out east. I was like, I'm, I'm good. I'm, it's relaxing. People are cool. I'm like, home. Yeah. I, re- I remember like you know walking down the street in my early Portland days and somebody smoking a joint and being like, Yo, you want some? And I was like, What? Like you, you're offering me a joint? Like you know, like I don't even know you. Like, you know, yeah. Just people, just super nice yeah. and. You know, and it's laid back. It's chill. Yeah. So it's part of that West Coast vibe. And um, and I love it here. You know, I, mm. I'm not going anywhere because I've lived in Ohio and I've lived in Philadelphia and Denver, Colorado and, and those different places. And uh, and I appreciate those places. But I, I'm, I, I love the West Coast, you know. Yeah, yeah me too, man. I, I miss it a lot. I, I actually lived in San Diego for about 13 years. And then about a couple of years ago, me and my wife moved back. Oh, I moved back here. My wife's from San Diego. So, uh, yeah, I love the West Coast, man. I love, I love, uh, we lived in OB. I've seen you at Winston's a few times, you know, like, it's mm-hmm. like, uh, it, it's, um, yeah, there's nothing like the West, man. Uh, like, you know, the East Coast has some, there's some like real, like there's some realism, you know, that I feel like, ex- and maybe just because I was in the Southern California bubble, because that is totally its own little bubble, right? Like NorCal mm-hmm. is like a totally different from Southern California. But 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 I just feel like there's a realism on the East Coast that I I can take or leave, you know, leave or, you know, like I'd rather be, <laughs> I'd rather be with people who, who uh, you know, who, who are fake and at least they're fucking, at least the sun's shining in Southern California. Can't say the same yeah. about Portland. Can't say the same. But, you know, I I, I like Portland as well. Um, it, it's a cool town, man. It's a really cool town. And, and I've seen some really yeah. good shows there and, and got to do some cool stuff there. So much respect to the West Coast. That, that, yeah, that, definitely. Uh, but, definitely. Uh, and, and the East Coast, you know, they got their own vibe and their own yeah, things happening. But if you look at it, look where everybody's moving to. Everybody's... Uh, uh, 
everybody's moving to Portland. Everyone, <laughs> oh, I mean, everyone's moving to the West Coast. Everyone's mm-hmm. moving to Denver. Yeah, I remember when you know Denver was not the jam band capital of the U.S. Now it's like <laughs> jam band capital. People are moving there, or Asheville, North Carolina, or the New Orleans. Yeah, and, and but you know, a lot of people are moving to the West Coast because it's. It's a whole different vibe in Denver yeah. and compared to anywhere else. So. Yeah, for sure. No, uh, Motet, right? Motet is one of those uh, bands that moved from Portland to Denver, right? Yeah, well, some of them. Some, some of, them of them definitely were from Portland. Uh, you know, Dave Watts and all of those guys was in, um, uh, uh, moved from Portland up down there and such and uh, and lived in Denver and such. So, you know, you got, all, you got the lettuce guys moving yeah. to you know, all living in Denver or New Orleans. Andy and, Franco and moves there. And so, yeah, yeah. You know, it's you, you have it right. Man, I didn't even think about that. It is the jam band capital. Yeah, I mean, you know, and then you got but the thing about it, back in the day it was cheaper. Right. Uh, it was cheaper in certain parts and stuff. You know, you got Alan Stone who's out near Seattle and mm. uh and because they could live comfortably comfortably, you know, my thing is like, yo, when I got off the road, I want to be somewhere and hang out. And like relax and not have to be like getting off the road and going right back in the hustle and bustle. Like yeah. I want to chill and relax, you right. know. <laughs> right. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. No kidding, man. It is crazy. So, so then, um, you, you, I know you said that you spent some time in Ohio. You went to Oberlin College, correct? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I was doing all the Latin stuff in and Cleveland and and the Latin salsa bands and merengue bands. You know, we went to. Toledo, Akron, Erie, PA, Detroit, and different places like that. You know, how, how was your experience in the Midwest? What, what did you What did you take away from it? Oh, I loved it. I mean, it was cool. You know, the Midwest has its own thing. You know, yeah. it's got its dry heat and its um, <coughs> storms and things and and such. The music scene was great um, at the time in Cleveland. It's a lot of stuff. A lot of great players. A lot of young musicians and such. Uh, and, you know, but I was there for school. So, you know, I, I spent five years there and played with everyone in Ohio and stuff. And um, and it was great. But, you know, I it was it was great to have that a part of my journey, you know, mm. as far as being a musician. Because that's where I cut my teeth and playing at a lot of different clubs in Cleveland, like the Bop Stop and uh, Mardi Gras. And, 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 you know, I was playing with a bunch of gigs with Aretha Franklin in Ohio back when I was like 20 years old and yeah. and my professors were all gigging musicians in Ohio and all over Cleveland and Detroit and such. So, you know, that. it was a great time to be there. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's so awesome. And that, and those are those moments in life that you, that you can't like, it's really hard to, those experiences are really hard to, to, to find and, and to like, Cause like you're really, I mean, like to be in a position where you have your instructor is is actually gigging with you or gigging side by side or, or on the same grind as you are, yeah. and and laying out this path of like, hey, this is how you can do it too, and this, yeah. you know, I I love that. I love that. Like all my college professors were all like. Like I remember, this one guy was like, "If you can't see yourself playing music every goddamn day, then get out." <laughs> Yeah, well, you always run to the old school guys who who have that philosophy, you know. Right. I mean, I mean, we had, I mean, at Oberlin, we had some characters, you know. We had, you know, you got Greg Bandy who's played drums with Gary Bartz and at uh, Farrell Sanders and uh, Kenny Dorham and all these great jazz musicians, and he, 
you know, he shows up to the gig uh, wearing all kind of outfits and, <laughs> and, 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 and smoking more cigarettes and talking smack. And, and it's like, every time you get on the stage, you better play like it's your last time. You know, it's like, you know, but the thing about it, we appreciated that, you right. know, those guys told us stories and history and experiences that, you know, we would never get anywhere else. You know, they Absolutely. was telling us stories about the greats that they got to play with and connect with. And those are all a part of us growing as musicians. You right. know, it's not just about playing the 12 notes, you know, all over the horn. It's just, it's about the experiences and the, the that that's what the soul is at. That's where this is being soulful is at, you know? Yeah. Yeah, man. Uh, I, I love that. I love that idea of, of like, it's, it's like continuing a lineage, you know, it's like continuing oh, yeah. information. It's like carrying the torch and you're passing it on to another. Exactly. And it, it's, it's, it's very meaningful and, and it's, it's super spiritual, man. Like, I don't know, like if you look at it like that, I, you know, like, but uh, do you look at music as a sort of a spiritual practice? I mean, in a way, yes. I mean, and, you know, I'm not saying it's like replacing your God or whatever. No, no, no. It, but it's very, it's very, I mean, it connects us all through, you know, whatever it is, sonically, uh, rhythm wise, lyrically. Uh, uh, you know, some people see colors when they hear music. Some people experience different body uh, sensations when they hear music and such. And, you know, I mean, it's one of the, it's just, it's a stress reliever. It's it's you know I've literally met people and had experiences where they've been like, hey, I've had the worst week in my life, you know, like this music has saved me, or this is where, like even in my own experience, like if it wasn't for music, I don't know where I would literally be at growing up in Miami, Florida, being a young kid, um, taking up, you know, music, and and I grew up you know, in the projects and poverty and crime and violence and things like that. So like, you know, music saved my life in a way. Mm. It kept me out of the streets and doing other things. So, I mean, you know, and then, and it's, if you think about it, what, what religion uh, is not, a, what music, I mean, this music is a very part, close part to religions and things as well, you know, from, from even in Catholic music or even in Baptist church or in the Kojic, church and and church of god of christ like music is a very important part of getting people to that point of receiving word and and such i mean it's we could go on and on but yes music as as my old professor said you know music is my religion wow yeah uh it, it's it's definitely one of those things where i feel like if you serve it it will serve you oh oh yeah I, always oh, we're live now we're finally hey. li <laughs> we're live fardell we finally did it <laughs> dun, 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 dun. <laughs> thank you twitch <laughs> um oh shit i don't even remember what i was saying Woo! there you go there you go yeah were you a fan of wrestling growing up oh man come on like <laughs> dude I was like, you know, Ric Flair, uh, Dusty Rose, Coco Beware. Yeah. Like I was, I was old school WWF, you know. Yeah, before WWE. Yeah, yeah like so. I, you know, like I think when that switch happened, I started to like fade away. But <laughs> you know, I was like old school Andre the Giant and, and Dude, Hulk Hogan, Hulk Hogan, Hulkamania, son. The the Road Warriors and all of those things, you know, like. Dude, I watched that all. 
you know. But I, I tell people I grew up with my grandmother and my grandmother would just have the TV on. She was one of my old school people that just had the TV on all day. So I watched, you know, she'd be watching her stories, uh, Perry <laughs> Mason, uh, court shows, and, and then I'll be watching like wrestling and cartoons, you know? Hell yeah. Yeah, for real, man. It's like, uh, dude, there's something about wrestling that's just so, you know, people call it fake. I see that right now. I see you want me to do Hot Boy Summer, but you're going to have to give me a second, all right? I'm trying to talk to Farnell here. So the request is now that we're live, they're trying to get me to do things. And uh, I'm going to I'm just going to I'm going to chill for a second because I, I feel like we're still re- we're still establishing a relationship here. So um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> plus the stream was all crazy. Yeah, so, exactly. You know. The stream was nuts. And uh, welcome, everybody who's kind of coming in. Uh, we've been having trouble going live. So we just got started and I'm recording this. So this whole podcast will be out as a video version on youtube as well so anything you missed you will be able to go back and check out on youtube i'll make sure that i actually um i bounce the vod out today or whenever they let me so you can go and watch the well i don't know if anyways i'll upload the whole video in the next couple days so anyways um Whatever we were just talking about, it seemed like it was getting deep. But so so let's let's change out. Uh, let so so you said you grew up in you know in Miami, Florida. You you grew up in the projects, and and so how did music come into your life, and in in, in which ways did it sort of help you get past you know, uh, you know the 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 what what can come with living in the projects you know getting I mean, sucked into a but, lifestyle you know it, it was one of those things in elementary uh, and middle school mm-hmm. uh, in middle school it was like seventh grade and they said you have two electives you could take home ec which is cooking mm. or you could take music <laughs> and as a, a seventh grade i didn't know anything about cooking i knew about putting fish sticks in the oven <laughs> uh uh nuggets in the oven like you know those type of things uh and i think i knew i'd just make sandwiches and cereal (laughs) but so i chose music and literally it was probably the best um decision in my life because i didn't know at the time my family history and and how many musicians were in my family um from my mom and her aunts and her uncles and sisters and brothers who all were involved in music so uh, but it's literally probably yes, it's probably one of the best experiences in my life, and uh, and and I've never regret it today. Yeah, you know, I was either going to be a trumpeter or be the next Emerald. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Emerald Glassy. No, I don't know. Uh, uh, bam. Yeah. Bam. <laughs> no. Uh, but you know, yeah, that's and that's just where I really latched onto it and really enjoyed it. Um, just sharing music with other people in a room. And connecting with people and uh, I loved it what was it one of those things where you sort of came into it and it was just all encompassing because I mean you know you can only practice your instrument for so long for so you know like I'm yeah. just curious on like was it something that you sort of became obsessed with very quickly and that's sort of what kind of kept you kept your nose clean coming up yeah yeah I mean I feel like it was one of the things that I don't think before then I really had anything that I ever was like, that's it. Mm-hmm. Like, that's that's what I want to do. But this music, when I got 
start playing music and what it was doing to me. And it was, it was, it was like a piece. It was mm. finding uh, a place where that I can like actually learn this thing and make a note and play music and, and, and such, you know, I used to take my horn home and, uh, and I, when I used to stay with one of my aunts for a while, I had to practice in the backyard because she, the house is so small. The duplex is so small. We couldn't stay. I couldn't practice in the house yeah. because it was only so many rooms. <laughs> so I would sit in the backyard in Miami on my case and just practice, you know, um, I don't know. It just, it was that thing that just connected. And I was like, this is what I'm going to do for, you know, the rest of my life. What a blessing, man. What a blessing. Yeah. It's, um, you know, when you see people who are, you know, they're like 45 and they still don't know what the hell they want in life. It's like, man, that's really hard to, 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 you know, that's hard to witness, but I mean, that's a very common thing. How many people don't find yeah. that thing that, that drives them, that passion. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, and it's different for everybody. Of it course. Takes, it takes it's different people have different paths and some people are not going to really find what they really want to do. Uh, until later or, or until they kind of like let go of all of whatever things that have been holding them down for all of those years and such and find a thing that kind of just gives you joy yeah man it, it, it's just it, i feel like over this last year we saw the big crack in in in, in society and culture in regards to how many people really don't have a direction in life and once the world was sort of paused how much how much how many people uh, i mean it was like a, a lot of a lo-fi jazz oh is that you that's me awesome <laughs> hell yeah <laughs> I, i'm on my my uh, twitch and i was like hey i haven't followed it yet <laughs> <laughs> i appreciate hey i'm gonna get i'm gonna follow you back i, I if i would have known i would have put it in your thingy here on in the, oh, yeah, in the chat but um shit See, no, nah, I forgot what I was gonna say. That—that's the other part of this. I, I love Twitch and I love the live aspect of things, but it's like any little thing makes. It's like a, I'm a squirrel, man. I, I, oh yeah, well, it's a lot of ways to get distracted on this thing, you know. <laughs> I mean, you got stuff popping up, and you got your like oh, Streamlabs yeah. bot, and and then someone's like, "Yo," and you're like, "Yo," and then you're like, "Wait, what were we talking about?" <laughs> I know, man. Okay, hey, hey. You know, it's just <laughs> exactly, man. It's how we're just hanging out. That's exactly. all we're doing. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, well, it was. I don't know, man. Like the when when you saw last year and you saw all the unrest that was going on. You know, particularly in Portland. You know, there was a lot that went on, and and if I'm, I don't know if that's died down at all. But like, what was your take on what was sort of going on last year and how, especially Portland? I mean, it seemed like Portland seemed to be a hotbed. You know, what I mean, like every day Portland's in the news. So yeah, it was a it was a whole West Coast thing, yeah. you know, in a way because if you think about Seattle, remember they took over. Yeah, uh, they had a, a the autonomous zone. They, they took over the a whole area and locked it down so that no one else can come into that area. Mm-hmm. So that was even crazier. Like yeah, we we definitely Portland definitely like shut it down as far as like the 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 city hall and that area and also that justice center um downtown and such uh, but it was just like it, it was needed it was if it wasn't for uh, a pandemic 
and people being laid off of work and furloughed and such. And I just feel like everything lined up to happen a certain way that people were able to really learn and find out what was truly happening because it wasn't just a, you know, like for, for me as growing up in a black community and, and being raised, uh, you know, myself, my, my ethnic makeup, I, I, I'm black, uh, I'm Scottish and I'm uh, Choctaw native from Oklahoma oh. by way of Oklahoma. But, you know, like, I felt like people saw that it wasn't just a black and white thing. It wasn't just a black and cop thing because they were seeing in the media now where cops were pushing over elderly white people and almost killing them or running over policemen, running over women and young people and black, brown, white. And, and now people are seeing like, Hey, this is not just a, a, a black thing. It's, 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 it's a us thing altogether thing. And I think pe people seeing George Floyd, um, his death online, um, woke a lot of people up, even though we also saw this before with Eric Gardner in New York over a cigarette, right. you know, um, but I feel like it awoken a lot of people uh, because people were out of their comfort zones because they weren't working. They had the time. They were at stay at home, um, mandatory um, government issued placement around the country. Yeah. So I think it just really woke up people and just made people understand and, and really see what was happening. And Portland was just kind of tired of it here and, you know, uh, in the city. Do you, you know. do you think that the extent of the reaction was was uh, was acceptable and uh, in, in, in how things went down? Because I know that, you know, I think there was a firebombing, right? Like they were fire. Oh, yeah. Well, well the thing about awesome. it, mainly most of the things did take place only. At, yeah, that was the thing. You know, media, you know, media makes certain places and people look a certain way. Absolutely. Even if you're not from there, because when I lived in Ohio, only thing I knew about Oregon and Portland was skinheads. <laughs> because really? that evidently that was a thing, I think, in the 90s. But mm -hmm. I didn't know that. But that's what the media made it look right. like. So when I came to Portland, I was like, oh, where's the skinheads? I, I, you know, I, I, you know, I was like, I was, I kind of was like, hey, this is totally different than what I was told it was going to be. Right. So, you know, the government and, or, you know, um, you know, the ex-president and a bunch of other people making it seem like Portland was burning down to the ground. And it was just really it was just a certain localized area that the focus on all of this was happening. Yes, there were marches and protests around the city, but the focus of it was just like in a, a couple block radius. And and I think it was needed and let people know, like, yo, this is this is what needs to happen for mm -hmm. us to unite not just like black people, but white people, but also moms. You had like the mom block people and the moms coming out with like yellow t-shirts and standing in front of troops and, mm -hmm. and, and all of these different people. And it just, people just saw that, you know, it's, it's not just about, I mean, it was about all of us and, and, and some places, you know, we still struggling. We still not, we haven't made any real leeway, like budget cuts and such like, a lot of that stuff hasn't really brought real reform and 
That's why some people want us to abolish. I mean, we could get into politics and such, but you know, but the the thing about it, it's still hap- not happening like that. But things are still happening in Portland on the ground level, and a lot of different things are still happening. But that affects us all, music wise, where we're at. The people writing songs about this and they're and, uh, writing about the political things and such that influences the music, and the music influences those. Uh, movements as well, just like it did in the 60s and uh, with the Vietnam War and, and 70s and, uh, and various different times in, in uh, society, you know, music and, this, and all of these struggles go hand in hand. You know, you hear people say, stop talking about politics and music. No, it's all about the music. It's the storytelling of what you're going through. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's why it bothers me when you see artists getting, you know, canceled and stuff for saying things that aren't even like, you know, like not even, you know, not even it's going against the narrative, I suppose, is what I'm saying. But you see these artists getting taken down for speaking their own mind, speaking their own truths. And whether you agree with them or not, you know, they're going to get canceled. But I, I, I think that that's the whole problem is that you have artists who are getting silenced, you're, you're, we're getting silenced in ways that we can't even talk about certain issues and, yeah. and, and you can't speak to certain issues. And, and like, like, cause I felt the same way when all this was going down is like, I'm glad that the, the attention is being brought to police brutality and, and the, and the ridiculousness that this country can be at times. But I also, but he also, we're not allowed to question that either. We're not allowed to question yeah. any part of that movement. And when you have like, play when you have um you know organizations like blm you had who 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 are saying they're trained marxists and i'm not going into the like marxist you know whole thing but what i'm saying is is that these people who were running the blm now live in the hills of los angeles you know in in laguna hills i think is where they live or whatever it was they they what I'm seeing is is that they want everyone else to sort of be equal but them, right? There's always someone who has to be elevated above everyone else. Who's ma- and so I'm seeing the hypocrisy within it and, and the fact that we can't even, like, talk about that in certain venues, in certain ways, uh, I, I feel is kind of... I feel is antithetical to moving forward because now all we're doing is sort of dividing and people are starting to take a place on their sides instead of sort of being like, you know what? The police were beating the shit out of all of us. Okay. It was like, everyone's getting shit on here and I'm not taking away from the fact at all that fucking black and brown people get shit on in this country. But I am going to say that fucking that, uh, all <laughs> there's more white people get killed by police than black people. I'm not saying that this is right or wrong. There's also more white people in this world. So in this country. So there's that to consider. It, there's a lot of things that are sort of getting overlooked and, and getting Yeah, but at the but at the same please, time please. though, let, let's okay, since we're we're going there. Please if, let's do so, it. So so the thing about it is, okay, so yes, of course still white people getting shot, still white people getting killed and such. But if the popular population of black people and brown people is so much smaller, like why is it, the thing about the ratio should be it, that means it should be more white people in jail than than black people. But yeah. in certain areas there's more black people in jail than white people. Right. It's just, you know, it's, it's all, it's, 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 
this yeah it, we could go into it and no, get no, no. deep into You're it right, but the thing about it is that you know the thing about it is that if you look at this that means at the same percentage wise there should be more white people getting locked up and killed some more than black people but in a lot of places that's not the case mm-hmm. black and brown people are dying and being incarcerated at a mass rate yeah. compared to uh uh white counterpart even if the percentage is lower it should i mean it's yeah no i yeah, know I know where you're coming from, and and, yeah. and, and like I, I don't want you to think that I'm just like fuck all lives matter, goddamn. You know, I'm not that kind of thing. I'm I'm saying that there are there are certain there are certain things, there are certain truths and facts and numbers that are coming from respectable institutions, which can also be questioned because who fucking knows anymore on what's right and what's wrong. Uh, but there are these reports that show certain numbers that get overlooked, that get left out of the conversation. And yeah. and and to bring those things up, you are now labeled as a racist or a misogynist. Yeah, but at the same time, like people do know what's facts and what's wrong. The thing about it is you have to put in the work. You have to do the numbers. You have to do you have to put in the research. You can't mm-hmm. do anything just on a on the, the, the surface level of these things, because when you get into it deeper, the numbers are there. Hmm. You know, people, people like, well, you know, okay, for instance, they're like, you know, you get poor white people in certain parts of the country who was like, well, I haven't gotten anything. I haven't done anything, but you haven't been systematically pinpointed by the government to have laws placed on you so that you could never go anywhere. Mm. Even as a poor white person, you could still level up at a certain time faster than a black person because you couldn't even live in certain neighborhoods as a black person. You couldn't even walk in buildings as a black person. You couldn't even get jobs as a black person. You couldn't person. buy a house couldn't. in a neighborhood, you, yeah. If, if you owned a house in a certain neighborhood, they made laws to get you out mm. of that neighborhood and back into certain areas. So it was just like, it's like it's the laws were were pinpointing against black, brown, mm. other people. Yes, the shit is bad on all levels, but at the same time, there's numbers out here that's showing, you know, what as a government has the, the thing about it is the government as a whole is gonna do what's best for capitalism, mm. no matter what. That's just it doesn't matter black, brown, or what. If you're not there to help them make money. They're going to push you aside and push you down, just like cops. They don't care if you're black, white or whatever. If you're in their way and not doing what they tell you to do, then they're going to you're you're going to get pushed to the side as well. And that's what America was seeing, that it wasn't just black and brown people getting um, shitted on. It was it was all people. Yeah. As well. Well, and, and like the, I, I feel, and, and I'd just like to, uh, uh, I'd like to address that as well. Is like I, I, I do believe that people should address white privilege, and I'm half Mexican, but I'm white, right? Like, there's no like fucking Farnell Newton's like, oh, look at this. I'm sure that's not what you said in your head. Look at this white guy, but it's like you see me, I'm white guy. I'm fucking, I'm half Mexican. All right, like you know, it, it's so there is there is a need for people who are of the fairer skin to take into consideration that there is uh, that bias, that white privilege does exist. And I've seen it personally. I'm married to a black woman. Like I've seen just how people react to that. I've seen, you know, like I I've seen it happen. 
I've seen it happen with my own eyes. And, and so I do know, and I do know that because I am of the fairer skin, that I, there is a privilege that comes with that. And, and I don't mind. I, and I think that that was a great thing that came out of all of last year and what's been bubbling up for the last four or 500 years. But it's like, I, I, I um, you know, there is this other part of the argument and, and that I, I, that doesn't get brought up. And I think that it should be brought up is that, who kills the most Mexican people in this country? Who kills the most white people in this country? Who kills the most black people in this country? It's all of the same race. Mexicans kill the most Mexican. Blacks kill the most blacks. Whites kill the most whites. And so this, this sort of brings, you know, like black on black crime, Mexican, brown on brown crime. And, and as soon as you bring that up, things get wild. And I don't... I'm not saying that, uh, you know, there, there, there's some historical things that lead to these causes, and I, I'm all with that. But then to bring that up even is, is, is a carnal sin. Um, I mean, how do you... Oh, yeah. Well, that's, you, a, that's a whole different thing. You know, I believe... How, how is that different? I'm, I'm curious. Yeah, I believe that, you know, we should have be able to have these discussions and have these conversations and such, because that's how we learn. That's how yeah. we... And but guess what? It's also important to have these discussions with people who don't think like you and believe like you. So you could actually then you could go and have some takeaway points and learn some points and learn about these things. Mm -hmm. Like people are just finding out about black towns that was actually, you know, burned, killed. Like people are just finding out about Tulsa, Tulsa, yeah, man. Oklahoma. And they're just like, what do you mean? A whole black community was burned down bombed by planes and like, mm -hmm. but these are things that are getting erased in history mm -hmm. or about the black towns who were like literally destroyed and then basically buried or underdeveloped or, or didn't have the resources to, to keep sustain, um, sustaining them. So they kind of just erase out of history. But these, these, this is what's important is, is, it's good to, to step away and check this stuff out and to learn more about it. Like people are learning about the residential school stuff. This is not new stuff. This is not, this is old stuff that's been happening. Native people have been saying for a long time that their people has been disappearing and not coming home and not. Uh, but the thing about it is a lot of people just get turned on, turned on to the stuff because of the media, because of people are finally, finally doing more, deeper dives and finding out what is the system of all of this. Because if you just listen to what you hear uh, online, you're not, I mean, you got to put in the time and the work and the effort to learn more about it. And, and, and we should have these discussions because some people don't know about certain things, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's just, people don't know about redlining and people don't know about uh, uh, Jim Crow. And some people don't know about, uh, 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 you know, I mean, it's, it's all kind of things that's been happening in, in this country and such. You know, people don't know about uh, people are like, well, why are black people uh, um, wanted to get vaccinated as just like anyone else? So it's like, well, dude, there's been years of documented experimentation on black communities and people. And you think it's they're just going to be like, hey, we're going with the government. <laughs> Line you know, it's up. just like yeah, no. it's, it's like this stuff is well documented, but you have to go look for it. You have to have these discussions. But I'm all about having these discussions with people and not being 
because uh, some people you can't even have these discussions with people right. because then they're already labeling you and they're shitting on you and they're putting you down. But I'm like, hey, I want to have these discussions so I could get some takeaway from it and learn more. And also, I might learn more myself or someone else might learn more. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, do you, how much of what do you, th- you think uh, what went on last year and what's going on this year still I mean, uh, how much do you think the media had to do with the dissension? Uh, I, I guess I framed that in a shitty way. I, how much do you dissension. think? How much do you think the media is in play when it comes to all our disagreements as a society? Oh, very much. Mm. I mean, I mean, hell, we could people. <laughs> I mean, dude, you could turn on uh, the TV. And you hear the stuff that are getting spouting off on Fox and, and these other networks. And you're like, huh? You're like, wait, how, how are they? How, how did they, they take? I mean, but that's just the thing about it. Even with religion, you take a book like the Bible and people could just pinpoint one little thing and make a whole different story out of it that fits their narrative. So that's what media does. They're right. going to. If they're left or they're right or they're conservative or liberal, they're going to spin every story um, according to their their framework or their beliefs. I mean, I believe it. It's, but that's the same thing. It's like hearing a story like someone's like, yo, man, I was at the show, man. And I heard that the horn players didn't get paid for the show. And you're like, well, I heard that the horn players did get paid. And you're like, but I talked to so-and-so. And this person believes that. And you're like, but I talked to so-and-so. It's just like. You, you got to get all the news. You got to get all the stories. You just can't go by what you hear on media and TV. You have to dive into the stuff. If you hear something, you're like, wow, I never heard about that. Go online, start digging, start searching, start researching the stuff and finding out more about it so you could be up to date to what's happening. And then you might find out why is it the way it is, you know? Yeah. No, I, I agree, and and I think that the media is is taking a step further. Is that they want this kind of they want shit to burn because that's what sold papers, that's what sold clicks, that's what. I mean, let's face it, the last four years have been a goldmine for, for mainstream media. Fucking shitting on Trump has been very profitable, which, you know, I was doing the same thing. But it's like, but it's, it's very obvious, you know, that that this is a business, this is a corporation. And I, it's very scary. Even, you know, you mentioned, like, if you hear something that don't sound right on the news, then go Google it. But then Google is 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 throttling your search and 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 leaving out information now too oh yeah and you gotta go like i was researching um i was researching uh, native tribes and oregon and even then you have to like you have to you just can't read the first 20 uh results and, and, and sometimes if you search for things, you, you, you can't find anything from certain amount of years ago. Like you have to search and you have to dig deep because if you just look at what pops up on this on this on the surface, you're not going to learn more about it. Yeah. No, you it, know, I mean, just because uh, uh, a school might talk about something in, in their subject, but you have to find out what why. Why is it is, you know, why? Yeah. Yeah. OK. So. Uh, Thomas Jefferson, you know, like, or, or presidents or why laws are certain way they are. It's like, you got to dig deep, man, because you're not going to find it on the surface at all. 
no, no, it's, no. It's, it's just the way it is. And like I said, people going to twist stories according to push their own agenda. Mm. Yeah, totally. And, 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 the, and the fact that that's what that's like basically what the mainstream media has become is they become basically the stenographers for like, you know, MSNBC, CNN are basically the stenographers for the Democratic Party, whereas the uh, Fox has become the Republicans, you know, mouthpiece. And, yeah. and, and they're com- completely controlled and they're not even allowed to question the government because they're they're on. You know, that's not what fr- press was supposed to be. Yeah. You know, press was. So always- so so if you grew like and, and the thing about it, you get some of these politicians. I, I've seen remarks on politician made. They're like, do you think there's racism in America? And they're like, no, I don't think so. And I'm just like, if you grew up your entire life in a predominantly white community, Upper class, upper class Mm -hmm. that, you know, um, and the media and everything that is given to you and showed and exposed to you is of what you think should be success or or maybe conservative or whatever. That's you, you don't see anything else that's happening. You don't know about anything else that's happening. Like my wife teaches um, social justice classes and anti-bias learning and anti-racist learning and, and at the university here in Portland, at Portland mm-hmm. State. And you get these kids from outer suburbs who think like all the schools have the same resources in the state. Yeah. And then she puts them in an inner school, inner city school to observe classes and to observe teachers and the students. And then the students come back to class and they're like, oh my God, like, there's no support. They don't have the same books. They don't have the same classes. They don't even have the same lunch. Like, yeah. you know, like yeah. they don't have the funding and they find these things out and see that it's across the board, not the same everywhere in America or where they're from. And But the thing about it, you won't you wouldn't know that if you just live in your bubble. Right. You know, you wouldn't know these things unless and it's just the same way you you get. You go to Google search and you get exactly what you search for that particular is to you because they're they're targeting you, retargeting you to show you what you they want you to see. So now you got to but you got to dig in deep. You got to I mean, you got to listen. You got to read. You got to you just can't go by Google. You got to read. You got to read books. You got to read stories. You got to I mean, you learn so much. It's like. I mean, it's sickening, you know, yeah. and, and and people have their own take and spin on everything. And it's like, that's great if you believe that. But that's not the whole story. Right. You haven't participated in the whole story, you know, because, yeah. you know, I've, I've done many research from my black side and my native side. And people I hear people saying, well, what the natives get gets money from the government and casinos. And I'm like. I'm like, dude, do you know about all the treaties and all of the, the, the contracts that was re, uh, was uh, uh, forged and, and not honored? And yeah, they give you land, but guess what? They give you land that no one wants because it's hard to grow. It's hard to uh, be successful. And you're supposed to take that and be like, okay, I'm happy. The government's taking care of me, you know, or... Uh, or these companies like J.P. Morgan, who's made their money and their riches from slave wagers, mm. not wages, slave slavery and 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 made their money in cotton and in tobacco and such. And 
I mean, it's you could, but you got to do these research. You got to read. You got to you got to you can't just take anything just by the surface, you know, and that comes to music, too. You got to dive into it. It's the same thing with music. Some people just think like, oh, I listen to James Brown. That's great. No, like what, what are you really understanding what's happening? The rhythm, the bass, the, 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 the instrumentation. Are you really, you know, I've, I've been fortunate to tour with people like Bootsy and play with a lot of people who worked with James Brown and such yeah. and hear the stories and hear the, the, uh, the, the, what's important about the one mm. and funk and such. And, you know, that, but you have to do the research because it's out there, but you got to find it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, it, I, I think the one thing that does suck and that stands in the way of people actually doing that is this sort of this censorship of Google and the censorship, you know, and, and we don't have to go far into this, but like a great example of this was when Facebook, Google, YouTube were all were all like as soon as people start talking about the lab leak theory. Oh, as soon as Trump started talking about the lab leak theory. No, no, it came from a pangolin that screwed a pig, you know, like it's and, and like nobody like people were getting taken down. People are getting canceled uh, and Google. You couldn't even search that stuff on Google. And now, well, look at this. A year later, we're finding out that this is a very plausible. This is a very plausible theory that might have happened. And maybe if we would have been able to solidify it and look into it last year, we could be that much further on preventing this next thing from happening again, you know, the next the next pandemic. And so, like, it, it's very dangerous when you start censoring information and it, when, when people want – all they want is to be informed. I mean, information is power, and they know that. And, and they don't think that we're capable of, of handling certain information. And I find that kind of fuck that. I don't like that. Like I find of it, course. you know. But it's, it's all. But it's all. It's all about from their narrative where they're from. Texas. Texas is now. You go to certain parts of cities and certain parts of states. Educational wise, the books are doctrine to 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 tell the stories that aligns with their beliefs, with their political beliefs, religion beliefs. And such. So then you look at a textbook from a different part of state and such that hasn't been censored or or paid for or um, the money given from a conservative source or from a liberal source. The books are different. Like, you know, they're trying to give you the story that they want you to know to keep you aligned and following their supporting their beliefs. And I mean, it, it's, it's happening. I mean, it's been happening, but it's, it's still happening. And that's the thing about depending on where you turn on the TV and where you land, like what story are you going to get? But that can't be the only story that you believe, you know, that can't be the only, that can't be the only narrative, no matter what, you know? Um, mm -hmm. well, and I feel like that's in everything I do. I, it's all about trying to find the truth and researching and finding out more because there's so much more deep to the story that, that a lot of people just don't know. Yeah. And they just haven't been exposed to it. And then, uh, but that's that's the great thing about finding out these things and such, you know, like we have, I mean, it, it's so, it's, I mean, it's, dude, it's, it's across the board, like shocking because I feel like every day people are getting exposed to things and they're just like, wait, is this a thing? And I'm like, yeah, this has been a thing. I grew up knowing this thing, yeah. but for other people uh, in different parts of the country where they grew up or mm -hmm. where they, uh, 
uh, was raised and how they were raised, they never heard these stories before. Right. You know, I mean, I didn't know. I when I when you hear about Juneteenth, we always thought think hear about slavery. Uh, uh, the Underground Railroad was the the, the, the Harriet Tubman and the, the Underground Railroad was taking people from down south to up north. But did did I ever think about if you lived in Texas, you weren't really running up north. Sometimes you was running down south. Wow. And it's, there's black Mexican communities that, that, that formed because of slaves moving from Texas to running to, to, to Mexico for freedom. And, but I would never have thought that because I didn't know these things. I didn't yeah. never heard it and stuff. But then I started reading these articles about it. And I was like, holy crap. I, why wouldn't I think of that? You right, know, that's right. the closest place for them to get away from and, and such. And then also, then you got stories about now black um, slaves um, enter uh, mixing with the Mexican population and, and, and those various different things. Cause those are stories and things that, that are out there and such, but I don't know about, but you have to do the research. And like, I, I mean, I was dumbfounded. I just found that out this year when I was um, looking up some things about Juneteenth uh, mm. to write about for work. Yeah, I just I learned just like, about that right like, now. I was like, holy crap. Like I was, a, you, you think it always run, a, right, run up right north, north, run up north. But if you all, all, the, way, all the way at the one of the furthest southern states, you, you're not running up north. You're no. running, you're going down. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't even know what, is there a history of like the Mexicans enslaving people too? Like, I don't I know. I mean, but that's a whole nother thing. Right, that's right. Like, it's a whole like we, we're not taught those things. Right. We don't hear those stories. We don't, right. but the thing about it is that doesn't mean that they don't exist. Right. And that, that doesn't mean that they're not out there. But we, like I said, you have to find these things. You have to search. You have to, you have to, you know, get your, uh, your, your research hat on and, and, and go out there and figure it out. I mean, it's crazy. You know, like crazy. My, my wife just found out a couple of years ago that she always knew she had native uh, uh, ancestry, but she didn't know. She grew up a white girl in, in Oregon, but mm. she found out that, you know, her like great aunts and people were um, uh, Métis and uh, uh, people from like native people from uh, uh, Manitoba and different places who were in like residential schools and, who have like you know, who have disappeared and, and 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 died at these schools as well, and and it's just like we're learning all of this stuff because this information is being available to us through places like you know uh, uh, ancestry or because ancestry is archiving all of this information from towns and census bureaus and things like that, and it's like we're finding out people that we never knew we were connected to and such. I mean, but the, the thing about it is it's out there, but we have to, it's not even about Google, it's about just sometimes going to that area of the country. Like my aunt does that. She'll go to Oklahoma and Arkansas and try to find, you know, our descendants and relatives and such, you know, it's, it's crazy. Wow, that's really cool. I mean, that's really this, cool. This, that, that, that but she, the thing about it, it's a lot of work, you know, right. time. But right, right. But you know, all of, like I said, all of that is great, and and I love, and I'm all about that. But all of that makes up who I am, and and that makes up who I represent musically as well, and talk about, and you know, as well. You know, I connect with music and and other musicians with these stories mm. and, and tales and such. You know. 
Yeah, and okay, so uh, Raina has requested Hot Boy Summer fucking like ten times. So I'm gonna do it. It's a quick little thing, and then when we come back, I wanna I wanna see it. <sighs> God damn it! <laughs> look, look, when we come back, let's talk. Let's talk about. Let's talk about Bootsy, baby. Uh, and this, Jill, you're doing a chat. You doing the chat, Hanks? Hot boys? Oh, oh, hot boy summer, not white boy summer. Not white uh, boys. Oh hell no! <laughs> not doing white boy summer, son. That is not in my wheelhouse. Uh, all right, uh, let's. Uh, you know, Farnell, it's been warm outside. Some say it's been hot. It's been a hot boy summer. Drink my white claw while I buy my Bitcoin with my Biden bucks. To the moon, bitch. And while I rub one out to Joe Rogan's podcast. Yes. MMA, it's bitch. gonna be a hot boy summer. It's gonna be hot boy summer. It's gonna be a hot boy summer. It's gonna be a hot boy summer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hot Molly pill, drink muscle milk while I'm smoking my douche flutes. I hit on a girl that told me to put my shirt back on. It's gonna be a hot boy summer. 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 It's going to be a hot boy summer. There you guys go. Hey, by the way, everybody, I'm I'm uploading that to Spotify, so um, that will be available <laughs> soon. Um, <laughs> that's right. We got that. Oh, well, let me get you. There it is. Um, the So that's going to come out on Spotify, but I just uploaded the... Oh, thank you so much, Mighty Mighty. Uh, I just uploaded it to the Discord. So if you are subbed, you can go download that right now. Fully mastered and uncut. Uh, there you go, world. And Reyna, thank you so much for, uh, <laughs> for uh, embarrassing me in front of uh, Farnell here. Uh, there you go. Okay, and then you have an AMA, lo-fi jazz soul as an AMA. What's the AMA? 
It's just hot boy summer. It's just, it's just, just hot boy summer. It's just hot boy summer, baby. <laughs> just hot boy summer. That's how we're doing it. Farnell. Um, Farnell, you've you've gone on, you've worked with, and you've gone tour with some amazing people. Um, a, a couple who, uh, I mean, everyone that I've seen on your credits is like I'm just a fan of um, most. Some people I didn't know, but I'm sure they're big in the jazz world. I'm not the hugest jazz head, but I do love jazz. And Miles Davis is like my my like my uh, all inspiring uh, musician of my life. So uh, just so you know. I love Miles Davis, uh, nice. and and he's inspired me beyond. I don't play horns. I, I'm mostly a keyboard player, but it's yeah. but but bitches brew is just it just. Oh yeah, <laughs> um, I mean you know Miles was like the king of swag. Yeah know? right he, right. He had he had a vibe boy. He did, and and I even used his. Uh, I used a quote by him today in here because you're a trumpet player. I decided if you if you understood everything I say, you'd be me. There you go, Miles Davis. <laughs> such an asshole. <laughs> he was such an amazing asshole, though. Like, did you ever read his books or or his his autobiography? Yeah, and I watched this a lot of his interviews, mm. and, um, a lot of the interviews that was pretty hilarious and so funny, over the top, and like, I mean, yeah, he didn't give a shit. You he know? No, he didn't give. He gave very, very, very little to no shits. Uh, but but I love I love I mean he's just fucking genius and and is just a seminal influence on just every in every way. So um, but anyways, uh, how how did you get linked up with Bootsy Collins? That, like how does that happen? You're in Portland. How um, how does that? Work? What was that? That I was I was playing. I met the saxophone player Mike Phillips. Mike Phillips played with. Um, Stevie Wonder, mm. he played with Prince during the musicology tour and such. And he also worked with Michael Jackson. And um, and Mike was like, dude, you're dope. And I want you to work with me. And basically, Mike just dragged me around the world with him. <laughs> um, said, from so 2009 on. So, um, <laughs> Wait, so, so what is Mike, was, a, is Mike yeah, a local is, guy? Is, What'd you say? Is Mike a Portland uh, cat? Well, now he lives in Portland, but he's oh. he's originally from uh, Mount Vernon, New New York. Got Money you. earning, Mount Vernon, okay. New York. But um, so he, I think one of the first gigs I did with him was on this cruise ship called the Capital Jazz Cruise Ship. But then right after that, he was like, "Hey, I got the call. They want me to put a horn section together for the Soul Train Awards uh, band." So it was me. Mike Phillips and on trombone was Greg Boyer, who played with Parliament Funkadelics and Maceo Parker and like everybody. Ooh. And um, and one of the featured artists on the Soul Train Awards that year was Boosie Collins. Um, so I met Boosie, met his wife, I met his like sound tech man. And right after that, um, Bootsie hit up Mike Phillips and was like, hey, I'm working on a new record, Funk Capital of the World, and I need some horns on a project. So me and Mike went in the studio, recorded horns for a song called um, Free Dumb that had um, Dr. Cornell West on it. Oh, sweet. And then um, Bootsy hit up Mike again and was like, hey, I need horns for another song. So Mike hit me up and was like, hey, Bootsy needs some more, some more horns. Can you run this session? So I... I got some horns together, recorded some other horns and such. 
And uh, and so that worked out and the record came out. It was a great record. It was featuring all kinds of great musicians and such. And then um, fast forward to 2011, I did the 2011 Soul Train Awards. And who's on there again? <laughs> Bootsy Collins. Yeah. He's playing again. You know, keep in touch with him, stay in contact and such. And then fast forward to 2013, June, around June, I was like at work. I worked for a company called OCP at the time, this Catholic sheet music company. Mike Phillips hit me up and said, hey, man, I'm going on the road with Jill Scott. I want you to come and play with me. And I was like, OK, I got to talk to the wife first. <laughs> and so I, I called up the wife and I was like, hey, Mike just called me up and wants me to go on the road with uh, Jill Scott. And she knew I was already a big. This is 2013. I've been a big Jill Scott fan since 2000, since yeah. she first came out. Gosh, she's so, so um, and I told her, I said, hey, you know, if my career doesn't go forward and up in like six months, then we need to have this discussion and have a talk about it if I'm going to be on the road or not. Mm. So I do Jill Scott rehearsal for a month, you know, rehearsing the band. Where's getting this ready at? For tours. Uh, what was that? What, did you have to leave Portland? Yeah, yeah. I was in Philadelphia Phil for a month wow. uh, doing rehearsals. We we're on the road doing rehearsals and, and shows and stuff. Mm -hmm. And we're about to hit the touring dates and such. And I see we're going to Cincinnati. So I was like, okay, cool. And I, uh, at the Macy's music. And I see that Boosie Collins is opening up the day. So I emailed Boosie Collins and I was like, yo, Boosie, you know, we're going to be in Port, I mean, in Cincinnati. Uh, I'm playing with Jill Scott and, uh, you know, we're, we're closing out before Charlie Wilson of the Gap Band. Dang. And so I get an email back and Boosie's like, hey, well, well, why don't you, when you get in, you know, come and sit in with us. So I go and, um, and they're all wearing space outfits, you know, like <laughs> these space suits and such. And they didn't have one big enough for me. So I'm wearing like half of a space suit, <laughs> but with a Boosie Collins t-shirt. Hell yeah. And it's funny because the Jill Scott guys are like making fun of me <laughs> and such. And But also people are like, had me concerned because they was like, yo, man. Do they know you, you're going to sit in with Boosie? Like, you know, Jill might be, you know. And I was like, okay, let me talk to the MD and just clear up everything. I was like, you know, I'm just sitting in with Boosie, you know. And so I did that. We did the show. It was great. It was killing. I think uh, um, uh, probably, oh, and earlier in that year, 2013, I remember uh, Boosie was doing a show at NAMM in California. Mm -hmm. And... Boosie used to send out these emails, like these, like with a, with a little like Bible quote at the end, you know, just like wishing everybody well, hoping everyone's good. And I remember hitting them up and be like, "Yo, Boosie, I'm at Nam. I'll see you tomorrow." And I get an email five minutes back that was like, "Farnell, what are you doing tomorrow? We need you for a show. <laughs> we're playing. We're playing at the John Lennon bus, and he only had one horn. No, he had two horns. He had a." Uh, Sarah Morrow, who played trombone with uh, Dr. John, uh, my man Randy Villars on sax, and and I joined them on trumpet, and um, and I rehearsed music with them in the hotel, rehearsing, and we get up there, and it's like I'm standing next to Bernie uh, Worrell, and and I'm like, and, and and Verdine White is up there from Earth, Wind, and Fire, and like all of these like. Uh, uh, what was it? Uh, uh, Blackbird McKnight from P Funk and, and, and Michael Hampton from Parliament Funkadelics. All of these bands, you know, it's just like all of these OGs up there. And uh, 
But then, so after I did the the, the Macy's Festival and set in with, with Boosie, uh, a month later, I get a call from his wife and it was like, hey, we want you to join our band. Oh. And I was like, oh, shoot. And I was like, well, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm with Jill Scott, but if we could make it work out, you know, I would love to be a part of it because I'm like, you know, Boosie Collins is a legend. Like, oh. you know, I, growing up, you know, in the, uh, as a young kid in the 80s, and, and and late 80s and when you know nwa was coming out and sampling all the west coast stuff was coming in out sampling all the boosie collins stuff i knew boosie from nwa because you know he had like easy e had a song we want easy mm-hmm. which was we want boosie right. you know boosie and it but it was like easy e so i found out about that funk music, besides hearing it from my family uh. and the neighborhoods and parties and such, I found out about the funk through the G-Funk movement. Mm. And so I was like, yo, if I could be a part of, I mean, Boosie's legendary. Like, Hell yeah. you know, I was like, you know, I was probably conceived to rather be with you. You know, that song came <laughs> out like 76, 77. I was born 77. No. <laughs> but uh, so I started going on the road with... Uh, Boosie Collins and Jill. I, w- I was split between the time I might be out on the road with a month or two with Jill and I'll jump on the road and, and, and literally fly out to Boosie shows. And then I'll fly back to Jill shows that I might fly home for a week and then I might fly back out and such. So it was a lot of, a lot of traveling, um, a lot of flights, a lot of bus rides and such playing with Bootsy and uh, Jill Scott. And I mean, and the thing about Boosie is Boosie is like one of a kind, man. He's one of the sweetest guys. And, you know, you see him on the stage and he's like, what? <laughs> you know, and did. But when you're at rehearsals, he's like, he's like, hey, he used to call me Neutron. He'd be like, hey, Neutron, you know, man, you know, when you do that thing on the horn, I need this section, right? And, you know, he's very like, like chill low temperament until you didn't get the groove right if the groove wasn't right then he you know he'd be like hey we got to get this right this is the funk you know we got to put on the one you know you know as such but it was just an honor because you know playing yeah. with bootsy razor sharp johnson who's original um keyboardist and bootsy band also played with parliament uh, you had uh frankie cashwadi drums who played with bootsy james brown um uh, all of those different bands and you had uh mudbone cooper uh um, who sang that had his own bands and played with parliament and p-funk and bootsy and, and had a, a big hit in uh 80s and was killing it and uh so it was just an honor to, to be with these guys and hear the stories about their inner and and outer body experiences <laughs> uh being in parliament and and you know just hearing these stories and being you know approved by and having the cosign of approval by these you know legends yeah you know and that's how because of that i played on the jam cruise i don't remember which year probably 2014 january or something like that um was on there with boosie collins and that's where you know i was hanging out with uh you know hanging out with nigel hall and eric benny bloom from lettuce and and got to finally meet Deitch, uh, Adam Deitch from Lettuce and Break Science and and start, you know, rubbing elbows with everyone and hanging out with Dumpster Funk and mm. Carl Denson and all of these people. And that kind of kickstarted a lot of my 
um, connections in the jam scene right. and working with those guys. And, and, and next thing you know, you know, call distance hitting me up to play shows. And then, uh, you know, uh, Bear Creek is happening and Dumpster Funk, you know, needs a horn player or, you know, and, and different people need subs or wants me to work with them and such. And that kind of kicked off that, uh, my career in that. And also just, you know, shout out to Nigel Hall and Eric Benny Bloom because those dudes like really was like, yo, we family, you cool with me, like you roll with me. Yeah. Like Nigel was like, yo, when I'm on the stage, you're on the stage, mm, you know, sad. like, it, you know, so it was just like that camaraderie and that, and that love, you know, kind of like sealed, co-signed me into the scene, you know? So no. Yeah. So, and, and that's yeah. a, that's a huge thing too, man, to get, you know, you're a made man now in, in, in that scene and, yeah. and, and to be on that call list, you know, is that's, that's so cool. I mean, that's like, that's what people are working for. Um, yeah. Know, some people uh was there when you when you were working with booty and stuff was there any kind of um was there a story or any any advice he gave you that would just always stuck with you and and just and by the I way mean, adam flair wants you to give him booty's phone number uh. <laughs> and there you go there's your answer adam <laughs> That's your answer. Nobody gets Boosie's though. <laughs> nobody. You're not gonna, you're not gonna uh, have nobody because they're gonna call me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's like, why the hell? Uh, Neutron. Uh, <laughs> that's like people to this day be like, hey man, can you, can you put me in touch with Jill Scott? I'm like, I'm like, I want to hire her for a short for a show, and I'm like, okay. Um, I don't think people really understand what it takes to bring these artists to. I'm like, dude, do you have like eighty, a hundred thousand dollars? Like, you know, like you got to remember, she's traveling with a ten-piece band, uh, a stylist, a makeup person, a road manager, front house, uh, monitor man, you know, lights, and like, you know, you got you got twenty people and travel and fair and hotel and you know all of these different things that goes into these shows and you know it's pretty crazy but oh back to boosie um yeah boosie always was, was like the king of dropping like knowledge and knowledge bombs and <laughs> and such and i remember once we were talking about just like young people growing up um and boosie was like you know you can't put all the blame on the kids you can't you cannot put all the blame on the kids like you got to understand that they growing up in the house with parents who are teaching them or advising them or giving them good influences or bad influences. Like, you know, you, you can't come down on these kids. You gotta be, you gotta be willing to get on their level and talk to them and mentor them and work with them to give them, you know, and then after that, you know, you can kind of, um, uh talk about or whatever but you know that it's just like always boosie was always about reaching out to people mentoring talking to people working with people i mean it's just just what he's about you know even talking to those guys and they were like man you know uh when the g-funk stuff was popping up sometimes some of them felt like man we should have mentored them more we should have mm. really we should have really stepped in more than we did as yeah. far as when Dre, Dr. Dre, and Easy, and all of those guys was 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 uh, diving into the funk movement of yeah. the '90s and such. Uh, 
But I mean, Boosie just always had tidbits and, and, and just words of wisdom that I just carry around with me and how I function. Because I tell people, I say, if you listen to Boosie and around Boosie, you can understand how I am around people and collaborating and working with younger people. Like, that's the thing about it. I, I, I don't have a bunch of streams and, and, and on a bunch of tracks just because I'm a great trumpeter. It's because I, I, I love collaborating with people and I love mentoring and I love uh, connecting with the younger generation. Like, I just cut two songs with these artists. They're both 18. That's awesome. One, one of them, we got like a million streams on some lo-fi project. The other guy, we got like 500,000 streams. He's one just finished high school and one just is at Berkeley School of Music, just oh, finished yeah. his first year. And it's like always just trying to be a mentor. But I also was a mentor and worked with kids for 10 years. So, you know, I'm always trying to make sure that the to make kids, you know, feel safe, uh, feel that they're worthwhile and that just always being there for them to show that we're there for them, you yeah. know? And, and that's just how I've always been. And that kept kids out of trouble. That kept kids from getting into gangs. That kept kids involved in something positive, you know? And I, now these kids are growing up now and having kids and, and mentors and they're mentoring people and, and coming out to my shows and supporting and, and such. So, you know, it's, it, it goes a long way. It really does. I mean, that's amazing for you to be able to sit here and say it's like I mentored someone like 10 years ago. And now that tradition, that lineage that 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 you imparted on them. I mean, it's you're giving back like right. That's like giving back to what your opportunities that were offered you in your lifetime. Uh, that's that's so beautiful, man. How does your how did your family take it when you were touring heavily, you know, internationally like this? How? How was it? How was that impacting your your family and your personal life? Because I know personally from touring and stuff, it can be stressful. And you know, I'm not asking for you to give me, you know, personal anything. But <laughs> well, speaking of, my wife was just speaking, and um, yeah, she was holding it down. That's awesome. Like, like she, you know, literally when I was this was 2013. You know, like my old my well. Our two kids here were, let me see, that was like, I mean, they were like three and like one and a half. And, you know, I had, you know, like a three-year-old daughter and a one and a half-year-old son, and she was like holding it down. Like, you know, but I also made sure that I always stayed connected, stayed in communication. You know, at the time, since I was making more money, I was like, yo, I'm going to have a cleaner person come every week. (laughs) Hell you yeah. know, so that you didn't have to. It's like, who wants to have to worry about, you know, you, you're wrangling two little kids and being <laughs> with them all days. Like little kids, like now that they're older, yeah. you know, they got their laptops, they got <laughs> video games, they got yeah. their friends, they got, they could kind of manage their own things, mm-hmm. except when they drive each other crazy. <laughs> and, uh, but at the time when kids are one and a half year old walking and three years old, you got to be with them all the time so you know i i had the yard guys coming the cleaning people coming taking care of things to alleviate some of the stress while she was still a full-time professor at portland state and such but she she held it down she supported me while i was out there and you know we support each other as far as our careers and what we do and you know like i said she has the organization dealing with uh anti um bias learning and books and 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 
you know, we just always support each other. And because of that, I feel like that really helped me get to, because we were supposed to have that talk. I said, in six months, if my career with Jill Scott is not going forward and up in six months, we need to have that discussion and probably reevaluate. I need to probably come back home and make sure I take a day gig again and, and mm-hmm. whatever. But, you know, like three years later, <laughs> four <laughs> years later, then I'm like, you know, okay, okay, it's time to stop. And at the Maybe time, it's time I, to I, slow I, down I, a little. <laughs> yeah. And at the time, her dad was sick. My mm. father in law was sick wow. and everything before he passed away. So it was like, you know what? It's time to be home now. Yeah. My older daughters was getting older. Mm. And, you know, it was just like, it's time to be around for the family, for everyone, wow. uh, for everyone's health and, and, and stability and such as well. So, um, so and, was- and I just, been here you know working and playing in in portland and such since so it was never a case of like the gigs dried up it was always the case of like i need to be home with my family it's time oh yeah yeah Yeah. uh that's amazing oh who's so i said did she clean before the (laughs) cleanest come you have to (laughs) i didn't know this i didn't know this you know you don't know these things until it's happened like i've never had a cleaner before because i remember my wife we'd be cleaning the house i'm like I thought they just come and did everything for us. Like, no, you get the house. Uh, uh, you know, we we did certain things, and then they just come and surface cleaning. They're just like oh, cleaning bathrooms and yeah, I didn't and know that vacuuming and, and windows and things like they're doing like surface level things. So you, they're not going to come in and fold your laundry for you unless you you're balling right. and you're making money like that though for right. that type of cleaner. You know, yeah. these are like people that come in for an hour and does everything and, right. and makes things like. Do you a know, little dust in you know? here and there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you don't have like a messed up bathroom, a right. messed up, you know, dirt everywhere and dust piled up everywhere. Yeah. So, you know, I didn't know that I because know I never had a cleaner. You know, <laughs> I I'm like, I never was at that point in my life. You know, I was like, shoot. I'm a but, musician. You know, what do you, what do you think? <laughs> yeah. You cleaners? know, but you, you have to clean before the cleaners. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like that. I but, like um, that. I don't like But that. you know, but the thing about it is like, you know, she really held it down and and my success as as I mean that literally launched my career on another level where I was working and and, and collaborating with artists literally worldwide. Yeah. And and it was because of, of her supporting me, you know. That's beautiful. You know, I mean we're we're relate we're we're a couple. We go through ups and downs, we deal with communication and and music and life and 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 fandom and crazy people and and such like that but you know we still support each other and push each other through it you know that's beautiful man that's beautiful uh you know we're we're getting close to the end here and i just uh i you know i love jill scott and and i love lettuce i love galactic i love all those artists but you know just uh is there anything that you learned from jill scott and, and and just from her as a person as a human that you can glean on to us uh i mean anything? she was a storyteller she mm. was about she you know the thing about it boosie was like the show mm. he was about the, the glitz the glamour the show but he was also about the music has to be tight you know people people would think like people like boosie would just be a jam band no like the show from the first note to the last note, it was a show. It was put together tight. With Jill Scott, it was it was put together tight as well. But there was definitely loose parts in it and organic, um, creative parts in it. But she was about being a storyteller, connecting with the audience. Literally, people would be in the audience crying and ah! 
like full blown like tears like falling out and such because she was a storyteller she was she was about connecting with the artist in that way that I've never seen before as with anyone I performed with mm. I mean that was like mind boggling to to be that connected emotionally with people and such and it's draining you know um uh, but she was always about like taking care of your people around you um your family your loved ones and and it was and she was just super supportive as well in my career very helpful for um supporting the the music i was releasing and such as well and 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 showcasing that too you know she would make sure to say that at our shows nightly you know like ladies and gentlemen this young man just released a new record you know trumpet of foreigner new oh, t- like wow. she didn't have to do that right she pays me to play the music for her right. and that's my job i do it or i don't and i i get sent home or whatever but she gave us so much love and showcased to us wow. um as well and yeah she was all about the storytelling like yeah there's nobody i could still put on jill scott today i mean i remember once once time where we were all in chicago and i felt like I wasn't doing my job as a, I wasn't focused enough. I started listening to her words a little more than I usually do. And I got kind of caught up mm-hmm. in what she was saying. And I was kind of like, start thinking about old relationships <laughs> and decisions. And I was kind of like a little bit tearing up. And I look over the drummers look like he about to tear up. <laughs> and like, everybody's got caught in the moment. And it's like, it's like, woo, okay, we got a job to do. We, we got to play this music. We and, do and, but the people in the audience is just like tearing up. And, and like, oh, you know, it's just like, I mean, it's that's the power of music. You know, yeah. like we've all gone through good and hard and bad times. And it's like, you know, this music is, is here to heal. It heals. It helps. It, it, it rejuvenates. It can help you through a lot of hard things in life. But it gives us joy. Yeah, it definitely. Yeah. Um, we got one more question from the chat, and uh, and uh, they said, "Is your horn within reach, and can we get a taste?" Wow. Uh, that is totally optional for you, sir. I don't want to put you on the spot. Yeah, Penny I'm, I'm did not it. Play now. I got a horn here. Let's oh, see. look at that! I haven't, I haven't played today. All right. Uh. I didn't hook it up, but here we go. I got, uh, no. there you go. I haven't touched my horn today, you know, my face. That's okay. That's okay. That was great. But, you didn't know that you were going to have to do that. So I appreciate that. Farnell Newton, thank you so much for coming on the show and just, just talking and chatting. That was absolutely wonderful. Everyone in chat, make sure you go and follow him up on all his socials and keep up to date with what he's doing. Uh, they just he just dropped a new uh, song today with a it was a collaboration called Good Times and that's by what artist what was the name of the artist Easy McCoy Easy McCoy so go out and check it out you can easily get to it from his uh, from his Instagram so if you want to go follow it check out the tune 
episode, go check it out, please. And uh, if you're listening on the audio end, make sure you go into the show notes and click around and support your boy. Uh, Farnell Newton, thank you so much. And uh, uh, you have a wonderful rest of your day. And, and Thank you so much. It was, a, it was an honor and a pleasure, sir. Definitely. Right on, Take man. Take care. You too, buddy. I'll talk to you later. so much Farnell. i really appreciate you coming on the show and, and speaking with us you know at the at the beginning of this show we had for whatever reason twitch wouldn't go live and it was just it was it, so the whole show when i think about the show the show started with just it was all off kilter and i i think that's where i went wrong with this whole thing is because like like I was freaking out and then I calmed myself down and was fine. And then I had to go do an interview. So I, and luckily I didn't freak out like I usually do. It was actually a pretty calm freak out. I was just like, okay, we're not live. We're just going to record this and we're going to go. So that always puts like a weird stink on, on my, on my behalf. Like, cause it's always like the, the, it just i'm off when the show starts off in an off way it just i just feel off and uh you know uh not making excuses for my ignorance but i i do have to i do have to say that anytime i have a problem at the beginning of the show the show suffers the the interview suffers because it's just it's so hard to go into an interview especially like farnell because i knew i wanted to talk to him about like these really high profile artists that he's worked with and you know like what when you're going into something and you have this plan and and then the plan gets all scrambled up it just scrambles everything up so it it it, it was it was kind of a bummer that it had to happen like that but you know like we did catch our our, our space and so i'm really happy that we did find our rhythm but it did it did put me off for the whole show so it, it it is it's a weird thing it's a weird thing doing these doing these podcasts and, and especially with the live stream it changed a lot about the show and a lot about the feel of the show so again i appreciate everyone who has been sticking through pushing through the 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 change uh it's been a little over a year on twitch and uh it, it's i've been really enjoying the, the platform and i've been really enjoying the 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 creative outlet that it that it is for me especially as a musician who's not working right now like like they used to so you know look, look, I, I i gotta say we're we're having a good time over here still trying to learn how to finesse the whole system and make it work right and especially the releases and all you know everything there's so much that goes into this show so um, I, I really, I really, really, really enjoy what, uh, what, what, what we're doing here, over here, over, over here. Oh, I got do got an announcement that Zoe Magazine is going to be releasing an interview article um, in August. So be on the lookout for that. I'll make sure that I let you guys know, and I'll make sure links are dropped. So uh, very excited, Zoe Magazine. Uh, I'll be doing that. Will be coming out in August sometime. So uh, again, keep it posted. 
Zoe magazine is pretty cool. I, I read a couple of their articles and I, you know, I got to say it wasn't just some cookie cutter um, questions and answers. It was like really, really cool, uh, really great questions, I thought. And um, I do have to give up. I do have to give it up a little bit to my PR company that uh, that I'm working with, uh, Dean. He's been on the show before, and it's called Little Star Little Star PR. I think that's what they're called. Sorry, Dean, I forgot. <laughs> Anyways, um, they went and sort of rearranged my bio to make it. Um, I don't know, to make it a little bit more palatable, I think, what I wrote was very, it was funny-ish, and it make, it, it was just, it was just over the top. What Dean did was, it, he forced me to think about my accolades, and he forced me to put them in a story form, uh, it, through just, he, and he kept on telling me, like, no, I, I need more, like, <laughs> like, this isn't enough, so he pushed me, and pushed me, and pushed me, and, um, you know the end product you know like to me because he gave me a bio or you know he he helped me build a bio for my website and so this is what we sent the they he sent off to the interviews to people who uh, you know to potential um, magazines that were going to do a write-up for me and uh he was able to condense like the show's lifespan into like a very palatable few paragraphs and it was just really cool that the person who was interviewing me was able to i'm guessing they might have listened to some episodes i don't know but i'm guessing they probably were like let's go through the bio oh okay look at that you got all your stats all your stuff all your information right here and he was able to ask really intelligent and really cool questions um just from that I'm, i'm assuming i shouldn't assume I'm just assuming that they didn't listen to all 350 episodes of the podcast and sit there and really do this crazy breakdown of what the show is. But, you know, like I, I, I thought it was pretty cool that they, um, you know, the questions that they were able to derive were were really legit from just this, you know, this few sentences that Dean helped me, <laughs> Dean forced me to write out. Because <laughs> let me tell you, I went back and forth with him at least three or four times because I was just like, ugh, <laughs> I did not want to do it. But he forced me, and it was good. It was really good because it really actually gave me a new perspective on the show. And it kind of, especially the article gave me a different perspective on the show because it made me think, it forced me to think about the show in you know, very, um, very uh, discernible ways, I guess. Is that the right word? I don't know. You know what? I'm blabbering. I'm done. Let's uh let's get the hell out of here, guys. Thank you guys so much for being here today at the live stream at 3 p.m. We got Sammy side effects on the show, so come on through. 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, twitch.tv slash we speak English good. Alright guys, I will see you next week. Be have a great be be have a great be have a great weekend. Be good to your fellow human beings. HJ's for everybody. I'll talk to you guys later. Peace.